genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I am Scott Corelli. Today, we conclude our miniseries on Twilight with the final chapter of the Twilight Saga, 2012's Breaking Dawn Part 2. And we have a guest joining us to talk about vampires from around the world. <laughs> it's Mimi Darling. Hi, everybody. What's up? Uh, welcome to <laughs> Happy the show. To Happy to have you on, Mimi. Uh, God, um, this is going to be a fun one. I just know this... it. <laughs> it's a... I love the energy right now. It's like we're really ready to dive right in. Yeah, oh, I, I just got done watching this like maybe twenty minutes ago. Same. So I'm I'm fired up. Oh, so it's fresh. Yeah. Um. So I honestly don't have a lot of preamble or history to to mm-hmm. use for you know to get out of the way. Uh, Mimi, uh, we talked a little bit how in part one, uh, these two were filmed like congruently, mm-hmm. like on any given day, Kristen Stewart would go from swooning newlywed to, you know, body horror fighting for her life to badass newborn vampire in like a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff kind of applies to this, but, um, yeah, this was a movie that Kristen Stewart was really excited to make uh, i mean and then like this chapter of the story getting to be like you know newborn vampire bella uh powerful after i don't know i uh, but then like that i found myself thinking about what that word means in the context of this series and uh bella's relation to it um but yeah so i i'm really i just really want to get into uh every uh, how you guys felt so mimi what is your personal history and background with the twilight saga oh gosh okay so i i was a twi hard i grew up reading Twilight books. I personally think they came out a little too late because by the end of the movies, I kind of tapered off and I saw them the last week they were in theaters. But I I was at midnight showings. I even um, forget midnight showings. I went to the premiere of Twilight in like over by UCLA. I I won tickets. Yeah, there was a podcast called Imprint. And um, (laughs) it was the Imprint people and Caleb Nation and they hosted Peter Facinelli and Jackson Rathbone. 
uh, who I had no clue about at the time and immediately fell in love because, you know, they're very beautiful people. Mm. Um, and the only time I've ever won anything, they we were at Borders and they were holding out tickets and I somehow won a place to get in a limo, go to the premiere and go to an after party for Twilight. So Whoa. I have a very deep... Uh, connection to Twilight and even so that like I'm a completist so if I get an inkling of Twilight um, in order to do this even I had to read all of the books and then watch all of the movies just so <laughs> that I like could feel um, the same frustration that I had when I was a child um, and <laughs> so like I have a very deep connection to Twilight um, and I typically ignore it now mm. because forget that connection mm. but you know that's some uh, serious 2000s cred though yeah yeah yeah. That's powerful. Went That's... to a Twilight premiere party with two of the Cullens. Oh, man. Yes. And I also, borders. I always forget the story. <laughs> yeah, Borders, right? Um, at Barnes & Noble, they used to do midnight book release parties, you know, circa Harry Potter, and they also did it for Twilight. So uh, Breaking Dawn, when Breaking Dawn came out, we all had a, a costume contest. I also won that. I dressed up as Forks Washington. I just put Forks in my hair, and everybody got really excited. Nice. So... <laughs> You know, uh, I was I, I truly was a twihard. Um, these movies make me feel different mm. now. Yeah. Well, you know, so as a as someone who is a fan of it in their youth and maybe has complicated feelings about it as an adult, how do you feel about the quote like Twilight Renaissance that's sort of been happening on like TikTok and online the past couple of years? Um, I feel like I'm a part of it in some way. I recently <laughs> not very recently, but I did a tweet where I said, like, you know, the New Moon soundtrack slaps. Like, I don't care what anybody has to say. I still agree with these sentiments. <laughs> I listen to the Twilight soundtracks all the time. <laughs> I just think they're very good. If anything, they're very good records. Um, I had New Moon on vinyl. <laughs> um, so I'm excited that people are coming back to it. Um, I definitely have issues mm -hmm. with the series as a whole. I think a part of the Renaissance, right, is people breaking down how these books got made and then how the movies, what they pull from, from those books. And, you know, unfortunately, they're a little problematic. Mm -hmm. And by a little, I mean a lot. And, you know, so it's a little hard looking back at as my younger, you know, of course, all I wanted was vampire love and, you know, that forever promise that you could only get from somebody who's 100 years older than you. Mm -hmm. um, so I needed that then. And now I look at it very critically. So I'm excited that the Renaissance is both very excited about Twilight and also very critical of Twilight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Yeah. I do think it's like a balance. Like this renaissance that's mm -hmm. happened has been like a balance because it's like, it's like the vibe seems to be generally of like, I'm going to wince at that, but also I'm going to laugh while I'm wincing, you know, where it's like, Hey, these are, these are a good time. We're not kids anymore. And we can like, look at these and be like, these are really silly and fun movies even if there are those moments that make you wince of like, oh, right, I really liked that at the time. And now I look at it and I'm like, oh, boy, okay, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't know. I just think that that whole this, this nostalgic vibe, it's like it doesn't have rose-tinted glasses on. And that's why I appreciate this renaissance so much is because the rose-tinted glasses aren't part of it. But yeah. yeah, where like deconstructing can be part of the celebrating right uh, and i think that's like specific to twilight it seems to me the part of the fandom is picking out the absurdities of like myers prose or like you know certain words that are used a lot in the books and it's like mocking and loving at the same time it seems like 
Yeah. As opposed to something like Harry Potter, where when people are really into Harry Potter now, they have to do so with both of their fingers in their ears going la 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 <laughs> you know or because... or like adding like 34 appendices to like their totally. now before i say that i had but you know of course <laughs> i'm not you know i'm not saying that you know but yeah right totally and and i think it's so interesting because like if you look at those two franchises um i was talking to a friend about this and i think the three of us can remember like when we were growing up harry potter was like sanctified like mm-hmm. it was like our generation story and we were going to read this to our kids and it almost like we weren't picking at it or looking for the flaws the way that twilight kind of had no choice but everyone was like you know so fixated on the more unusual aspects of it how do you think about that mimi i was a very weird um child i actually harry potter was assigned to me in school so the only reason why i started harry potter is because my elementary school was like here you should be reading something that'll get you reading. And I credit Harry Potter as being my favorite franchise because it's the only reason why I read today. Like I went from reading Harry Potter five to reading wicked, you know, I just like jumped and started looking at those bigger books with like more nuance and more stories, Mm -hmm. but I've always been critical of Harry Potter and I'm a diehard Harry Potter fan. Like I know Mm -hmm. a lot of things, but I've always felt as a child, I'm like, is that right? Like, I don't know if that feels right. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me that a lot of people are coming to it now in the text alone, you know, sure. minus everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. people are going like, ooh, is that is that okay? And I'm like, I had that same thought. But in the same way, I have arguments with my friends who are also diehard fans. And they're like, well, I guess you're not a diehard fan because you're so critical of it. And I'm like, right. I can appreciate something and have problems with it. Absolutely. And I feel like that makes me more of a fan because I recognize its flaws. Mm-hmm. And you're a fan despite that. You yeah. know? And that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, I feel like that's way stronger as a result. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Yeah. Or just like, yeah, when I was 17, 16, I wasn't like, wait, Harry Potter grows up to be a cop or like all of these like <laughs> little things of like, oh, that yeah. is kind of weird. Cause as a kid, you're just like a wash in the world and the, what it's doing for your imagination at the time. Right. Right. Um, it's, it's, you know, I think everybody has the memory of the first thing that they consumed where they started to be critical, like their critical brain brain just sort of like woke up and just started lighting up. Um, and, you know, but for a long time, you're just reading and consuming things and just being like, I don't know, I guess that's just how it is. I don't know. <laughs> like, you're not really thinking about it. And so um, it is it is interesting as people there's like there becomes like a fork in the road, I think, for a lot of people where they either start down that critical path. Or they just stay down the path of ignorance and just like pretending that those things don't exist. Um, or just like, oh, you're reading into it too much. Or like, no, those things aren't real, you know? Um, and uh, and it's, it's always nice when you meet someone who is able to do both of those things in terms of like love a thing, but also be able to be critical of it. But that doesn't mean that they like hate it. It just means that like this kind, this part kind of sucks, but like I still like it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's part of growing up, you know? And I think that's what this whole, our whole mini series, this whole Twilight mini series has been a little bit about is just like that sort of bridge. Cause this, you know, when these books first started coming out, people were at an age where they were just swooning. And then by the time this last movie came out, like you, you were just sort of like, yeah, all right. Like, you know, I feel obligated well, I to, to see it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I had to finish it. I was just like, I'm not going to a midnight showing. Are we even doing those anymore? I think everybody's, you know, uh, 
pre-selecting their seats now. Yeah. that was the life at that point. Also, I think it ended after the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. And so Harry Potter was kind of the last time when people went to those midnight showings and had that camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the camaraderie of Twilight grew in a different way because Twilight changed Comic-Con. You know, right. Comic-Con mm-hmm. was a whole different beast. And then suddenly there was thousands of little girls hanging out outside just to hear a little thing from Robert Pattinson. Right. Um, so it just completely changed the way that we appreciate franchises as communities um, in a way that Harry Potter could only do once it became a movie pheno- phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. I think that there's there's a weird difference between them, but it also a similarity between them that... When I was done with Harry Potter, I kind of was done with Twilight in the mm-hmm. same way. I'm like, oh, well, that whole feeling is gone. There's no more midnight showings. I don't have to see the end. They've already done things to the first three movies that I do not appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, so from there, you know, let's just, I'll wait to the very last week and, and I'll be the last person who sees it in theaters. <laughs> Versus I saw Twilight, I think, oh God, 15 times in theaters. Wow. I would... I would go to the theater and do my homework because my friends had free tickets and I would just go sit in a cool landmark yeah. theater and they have little lamps with lights and I just recite lines and write things down, you know, doing my homework. <laughs> yeah. so, it's a very chill movie. Um, yeah. Exactly. So it was really great. I was I was doing the Zoom and the Netflix and chilling before those were even right. possible. <laughs> how, uh, <laughs> how, like, how much of the online aspects of the fandom were you into at that time? Well, I definitely listened to Imprint, um, the podcast, right, yeah. and uh, there was a website for Harry Potter called Snitch Seeker, and they started another website, which now escapes me, like two people from there, and then they started Imprint. So I was like huge into it leading up to the movies coming out, mm-hmm. and then once the movies came out, I just sort of, my Twilight love is for me. <laughs> right, I don't yeah. want to be associated with of the other because I also think the first movie came out in 2008 so I was like a senior in high school and I was like okay great like I'm I'm good to take a break from right yeah children uh, <laughs> at uh, this time Scott I, I forgot to mention that I, I, I didn't forget I, I left this out but in New Moon on the New Moon Blu-ray there was a special feature that was a podcast event at Borders or sponsored by Borders where it was hosts of Twilight fandom podcasts like meeting, not unlike this movie from around the country. And like, <laughs> and I was like a wash in 2000, like 2000s podcast nostalgia of like this wow. weird little pocket in time when there could be podcast panels for fandoms. Mm-hmm. I was a part of those. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You had, you had a bucket. I had, I, a... Yeah. You know, starting podcasting in 2005 means it was totally normal to have. 20 30,000 people listen to your podcast because there was only a hundred podcasts you know um and so like i was definitely a part of that and then saw my numbers just like as famous people started becoming podcasters and everyone was like well why would i listen to scott corelli some guy in indiana when i could go and listen to like Ricky Gervais or, you know, Conan some Brian famous or... person. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, and it started dwindling. But, like, it used to be that podcasts were, like, for fan, like fandoms. Like, that was what it was for um, in the beginning. And I was definitely a part of that. So, 
uh, I may need to borrow that to watch that because <laughs> I could, I'd, lo- I'd and, love to feel that again. <laughs> and you're right, Mimi. Like Twilight and Harry Potter really did kind of lap each other in really interesting ways in terms of like how they embrace how the fandoms embrace technology and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember uh, right before the first Twilight came out, they pushed Harry Potter. What was it? Five, six back, whichever one it was at the time. Oh, wow. They pushed it back because they were coming out within two weeks of each other. And that was like no bueno for Warner Brothers. So they put they pushed Harry Potter back. And I remember being very upset because I was like, this is my first fandom. How dare you? Uh, Twilight, move it back. And then they just sort of kept doing a dance with each other. So if something huge came out for Harry Potter, then something bigger would come out for Twilight. Mm. Um, in the same regard. So I remember when like Pottermore came out, it was huge. Everybody was up till midnight trying to get in and you couldn't get in. But don't worry, because here's some notes from Catherine Hardwick about Twilight, <laughs> you know, in, <laughs> you know, in the same thing. So you could be like using your screens and trying to like make everything happen. Right, and it was very, it was very exciting. It's like for, a, yeah, like a YA Marvel yeah. DC rivalry. <laughs> it, it truly was. Uh, um, and then I remember everybody it started the whole entire like YA dystopian or YA fantasy right, yeah. movie genre because then there was all of these books people could grab from because all of the books had fandoms like this. Right. Not as big as Twilight or Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but something that other studios could grab onto. So I definitely read all of those as well. Yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting if we ever talk about those on the show, Scott. Um, I'm sure we will. I mean, you've put Hunger Games up to a, for a vote before, so right, yeah. I'm sure we'll get around to it. Um, but Scott, uh-huh. this was your first time watching Breaking Dawn Part 2. Um, yeah. We, le- we left Breaking Dawn Part 1 at an all-time high. You were really stoked to sit down and watch this, this finale. Yeah. What, what, did you, yeah. what did you think? Well, so I loved Breaking Dawn Part 1, uh, truly. I just thought it was so weird and fun. Uh, I, I really, really liked it a lot. Um, the body horror was insane. <laughs> um, this one, I, you know, I went into this one kind of already knowing a lot and I feel like everything that I knew about the Breaking Dawn movies was all in this movie mostly. And so I came into this and I watched it and I was like, yeah, that's, I, I, I kind of already knew everything I felt like with this one, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but it was still a it was a fun watch. I didn't like it as much as I liked part one. Uh, but I think that they do some really smart things. And like I said last week, I am endlessly impressed with the way that they broke Breaking Dawn up because I literally watch these two movies and I'm like, I don't know how this was a single novel. It doesn't make any sense to me because there are two distinct stories with beginning, middles and ends. And it it is. It is very, it's just very surprising how well this adapted into two separate movies. Um, what, what, would you, what did you have to say about that, Mimi? Oh, yeah. So I, I don't know if you've read the book. I have not. The book is split into three parts. The first part being Bella as a human, um, you know, in that first movie, going to the island, finding out she's pregnant, ending there. The second book being Jacob's story of him dealing with the fact that she's dying. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the last part of the story is Bella becomes her truest self, mm-hmm. the vampire. So, you know, it's amazing to me because I think all of us diehard twihards at the time were like, if they don't split it in the correct moment, they will ruin this movie and there's a perfect place to split it. And then they did. So it was a huge, 
huge happy making, exciting thing for a movie to do because a similar series did not split their movie at the correct point in time. Yeah. The yeah. So we were all very upset. The Schmunger yeah. game, Schmary Potter. Take yeah. Schmary Potter. <laughs> Definitely Schmary Potter. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, uh, but Melissa Rosenberg, uh, in, in, in my research for this one, said that, yeah, the first time she read Breaking Dawn, she just saw that image of Bella opening her eyes and the eyes are red. And right away she was like, that's where I have to end part one. That's such a cool image. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, I, I feel the same way where I, when I read, um, uh, Mockingjay, I always forget mm-hmm. what it's called. Yeah. The third one, right. Mockingjay. Yeah. When I read Mockingjay and I got to the line where the, where, um, what's his name says, welcome to the 76th annual hunger games. And I'm like, well, there's where you end the first movie. Like it's him saying that line. And then the next movie is just all of that part of it. Um, and instead they like, he says that like, halfway through the first movie and then they like <laughs> like it was it was a it was a messed up adaptation that i'll be honest like, scott you yeah you you mentioned that i did nominate the hunger games earlier this year to talk about on the show yeah um, and going through the twilight saga has really affected my opinion on the hunger games movies yeah I, sure I, I i just think these are far richer better adaptations and I'm so, and I think they really nailed, especially these last two, the way the Hunger Games. I think that was a real uh, disappointing finish for my memories. Oh yeah, yeah. Mimi, were you a Hunger um, Games fan at all? I was a diehard Hunger Games okay, fan, cool, of cool, course. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I um, if it was a teen YA anything, I read it, I loved it, even if I hated it, and I watched the subsequent movies and loved slash purchased, even though I hated those movies as well. So I I was a huge fan of of the Hunger Games. And I think the difference between Twilight and all of the rest of the series are each Twilight book is based on a classical fiction novel. So I think the reason why New Moon is my favorite is because it's based on Romeo and Juliet and they shot it like it's Romeo and Juliet, not like it's Twilight. Mm -hmm. So they do that in each of these stories. And I think it adds like a richness, a depth to the story because you have this like, oh, yeah, this was based on loosely whatever book they're reading in school that year in the story. Yeah. And so the directors kind of just went in and went, yeah, let's let's treat it like it is Withering Heights. Let's treat it like it is Romeo and Juliet. And I think Hunger Games doesn't have that. Hunger Games is very much a diary of a girl trying. Mm-hmm. And it's very different. It's like and a serial. Harry Potter in this, yeah. And Harry Potter in a similar way is incredibly different. It's about trauma <laughs> so, so it's a little more difficult right. to to like shine a great light and 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 do the same thing that twilight could do is, at that time. is wuthering heights the the work specifically inspiring breaking dawn i think wuthering heights actually inspires eclipse oh okay um you know yeah. you know right, i need to know what the other two are I always forget the other two. Oh, okay. I just remember those. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Prince of Tides. Prince Sorry. of Tides. <laughs> they did do a like a release of those classical novels with fancy uh, Twilight covers. Oh, that's classy. So, yeah, so all of the novels that inspired the Twilight series have their own special Twilight novel covers. Oh. And it got children into reading classical fiction. Whoa. So that was a huge, huge publishing excitement thing happening for sure and i'm proud of them yeah yeah i'm gonna have to track those down um okay so the other two i don't know oh, what cool. order wow that was in. quick the other but the other two are pride and prejudice and uh jane Eyre. pride and prejudice feels like twilight mm. yeah because like it's so, so much about the miscommunication between darcy and, and elizabeth and 
oh, mistake, sure. that makes mistaken sense. intentions and stuff like that. Yeah. So then J- Jane Eyre is uh, Breaking Dawn, I guess. I don't know much no. about Jane Eyre. I've, I've never, never seen a Jane, Jane Eyre adaptation. I've certainly never read it. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I'm looking at the the book covers that. Um, oh, cool. That that Mimi was talking about. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, there's more though. There's also Midsummer Night's Dream, Persuasion, Emma, and Sense and Sensibility are also in this style. I think that the Jane Austen inspired Twilight in general. Yeah, <laughs> like for sure. all the Jane Austens inspired Twilight. Yeah. And then I think Breaking Dawn is two books. It's uh Midsummer's Night's Dreams and I guess Jane Eyre. I, I I've yeah. read Midsummer's Night's Dream. I have not read or seen anything Jane Eyre. I'm yeah. surprised Myers never published like a, a just a, a, a Jane Austenian romance. Mm. Well, I mean, I think that's what these are, and I think oh, that's, that's why the politics of them don't stand the test of time to like modern sensibilities because it's a throwback, but it's modern day, and so like it feels weird as a result, po- like socially. Sure, and it's and it's why the character <clears throat> of Bella was under such scrutiny these past few years, which yeah, Stewart was certainly aware of the idea of Bella being like a weak character or only caring about a man and all that stuff. And this was kind of in the right. heat of that lens because that was also when disney musicals and princesses were kind of under a similar lens i feel like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the early yeah. 10s mm-hmm. yeah. uh but scott when we when we last left bella swan uh yes. she was dead mm-hmm. she sure was and now like all vampires she has passion pit playing in her subconscious so so uh one love that uh two <laughs> yeah. this is just this is just a small thing that i think fucking rocks in terms of like making a part one and part two movie sync up together the fact that the last thing that we saw in part one is her red eyes opening and the first thing we see in part two is her pov as a vampire that rules that rules so hard like that's so good anyway i love and a a, a, (laughs) a brief note about the opening of the movie the like the opening credits there's like red jutting through the white of Forks Washington yeah. that was condiment that meant for that to visualize the vampire virus rushing through Bella's dead you know body and bringing oh, yeah. it back to life via very similar to like the um the visuals that he put into mm-hmm. her transformation at the the end of the last movie yeah um, and this includes an overture uh containing music to all previous Twilight movies yeah including Howard yeah. Shore's work in Eclipse and uh yeah. Alexandre Desplat's work in Newman won't won't be the only yeah overture that they do <laughs> featuring For everything sure. that's ever happened. <laughs> this really does feel like a throwback epic in the way that like Spartacus or like Oklahoma is, where it does have things <laughs> like an overture and a curtain call. Yeah, yeah. It's classy. Um yeah. okay. So this movie starts with Bella sort of like taking in her new surroundings as a vampire, like sort of playing with her new powers and abilities and this new Mm -hmm. life that she has. Um, They go hunting and she sees a rock climber and like loses control for a little while and wants to eat it and then ends up settling for a cougar, um, which is uh, pretty dope. Um, It's it's pretty made Bethany very upset while we were watching it this morning. I was wondering. Yeah. Killing the cat. (laughs) Yeah, it's really cool. I, I like watching her run through the woods. I was thinking, like, is this like a bigger transformation than Harry Potter or Katniss Everdeen? Like to go from book one Bella to this, 
you know, it's such a, it was a slow burn, but it's such like an immediate, like, whoa, it's so cool watching this character be like strong and killing a mountain lion. And yeah. Yeah. I would say she sort of gets her strength in movie three, you know, that's Mm. where she finally realizes she kind of has to stand up for herself and be her own person and not necessarily rely on all of the magical things that are around her. So it's very exciting to see that translate because, you know, the part about Breaking Dawn part one is that she's still very much like, I'm a human, I'm a human, mm-hmm. you know, and frail. And they really show that even though we've already seen her get to that level of strength. Mm-hmm. And then immediately they they jump in, they go, hey, do you remember how strong she was a couple of movies ago? That's how strong she is. And now she has vampire powers. So it's even more amplified. Right. So it was really exciting yeah. to see. And Edward is yeah. constantly impressed by her and surprised by like, oh, shit, you're acclimating really quickly. Or you have so much control. Like a newborn is normally super feral. And it's yeah, it's like all of the work she's been doing before transformation has been like building up. Yeah. I like that he is recognizing that he was underestimating her the whole time. You know, that all of those times where she was like, I want to become a vampire. He's like, you don't know what you're asking for. You're going to be a monster, a soulless, blood-sucking monster. And she's like, I don't think I will. (laughs) And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And, like, as soon as she becomes a vampire, she's fine. Like, I mean, you know, she's still struggling, but she's stronger than he he ever thought. And I I really like that. Um, I'm assuming that's in the book as well, but I really like that he is vocalizing how impressed that he is and how he's like recognizes that he underestimated her this whole time can confirm in the book as well yeah nice yeah. um he even like he the way he takes delight in watching bella kind of kick jacob's ass a little bit yeah yeah he's like, no, she no, finally gets to smell how stinky jacob is yeah low blow very important <laughs> very no very important because yeah. their whole dynamic always bothered me uh-huh. <laughs> so i was very excited to for her to be like you know i have no interest in you whatsoever yeah could you go away i right. don't know what i ever saw in you <laughs> because as yeah. it as it turns out the connection that bella thought was between she and jacob was actually between renesme and jacob her um, unborn child <laughs> oh you're not so you're not a fan of the name oh terrible name uh i love it when, when charlie <laughs> tries to say it later on yeah, no, it, it's annoying because Renesmee's middle name is Carly, which is a blend of Carlisle and Charlie, which would have been a great Aww, first name. Yeah. Um, but Renesmee just sort of sounds like something like when you're a child and you're like, I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to name, like, you know, it just mm-hmm. sounded very, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, for who this character is at this point, she's not that person. So I don't understand why she's so like, I'm going to do the dreamiest thing I could think of and right. twirl around and, you know, she. She didn't become that person during her wedding. Like, she wanted to skip all of those things. Yeah. So it was the the least uh, realistic in a vampire movie thing, I think, for choosing that name. Yeah. And I guess now that, now that you know, we've, we've, broke, we've broken the subject of, of Renesmee, um, I mean, Scott, would you like me to go into the logistics of how they chose to bring this unforgettable character to life? Yes. However, first, I Please. just want to quote, I think my favorite quote in the entire Oh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting, for, I've been waiting like two months for this. Yes, please. Which is, you nicknamed my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster. Screaming it with a straight face. Incredible. I want to know how many takes it took her to do that without laughing. <laughs> that's, her, that's her best actress clip for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> there, wow. You draw a direct line from being able to pull that line off with a straight face to playing uh, Diana in Spencer. <laughs> um, no, it, it's a great moment. Um, oh, boy. Just, a, just the worst timing ever on Jacob's part to drop the nickname. Nessie. Yeah. He couldn't help it, you know, because he imprinted. Yeah. yeah. Had to had to share his love. I love her so much I gave her a nickname. I didn't ask This is the the imprinting thing becomes baffling in this movie. Like in the last movie I thought I had it figured out in terms of like, oh, it's like a godfather thing. Like he like just really cares for this child and wants to protect this child. It's not a, a sexy thing. It's not a romantic thing. But then like the choices of the movie, movie yeah. Goes out of yeah, as this make. movie yeah. continues, I was like, is it a romantic? I think it might be a romantic thing. Uh, it's both. Yeah. It's a both thing. It's what it, you know what it truly is? It's whatever she needs it to be. Yeah. Okay. And that goes back to like the dreamy, whatever. If she wants to marry somebody else, he will play big brother. You know, okay. if, if she wants to be in a relationship with him when she's older, he's down for that too. It's whatever she needs. Yeah, okay. And that goes back to like, High school girls being like, man, I just wish a, a boy would love me as much as Jacob can't I, help but I, love a baby. <laughs> I wish I had this this guy with this malleable, whatever I needed him to be, he would just become mm-hmm. that role and not resent mm-hmm. resent me for it silently for decades. <laughs> Absolutely. And like he doesn't, he will do whatever yeah. she wants. Yeah. I think they say it in, um, I guess, like in New Moon when we meet Emily, uh, Sam's wife, mm-hmm. you know. If he didn't, if she didn't want that, he would have, you know, so hung out and just been friends. Right. I feel like that <laughs> yeah. could have been communicated. It's certainly better in the film that that Renesme has the option, the agency, the agency to be like, yeah, yeah, to be like, actually, I'm not attracted to you, Uncle Jacob, or whatever the hell. <laughs> um, and Jacob would be like, okay, all right, I'm gonna step back. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know how that what that would look like either, but it's also interesting from the perspective of him being like a like a dog and like loyal and like there there's a there's like this weird like dog energy like i don't know man's best friend kind of deal going on as well which is weird um i don't know the whole thing's weird but yeah let's talk about <laughs> terrifying animatronic renesme please sure rapidash cullen yeah. uh so so um you know there was of course the fam- infamous uh uh doll animatronic dubbed by the crew Chuck Esme. <laughs> That's good. That was that was used. There's like video of it like of Nikki Reed holding it and it's just like there's people behind under a table moving the fingers and it like they don't can't see so it's like the fingers are like drumming along Nikki Reed's face and the eyes are you know active because that's i mean uh me uh, me my understanding is like meyer went out of her way to like this baby is actively listening and has very it is looking directly at bella and directly at whoever's sp- talking to them yes absolutely the baby within a few days is already years older in mind <laughs> than it is you know in body and, and then please. in a couple of days will be in body as well. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, so I guess, you know, I don't know how early Chuck Esme was brought in and, uh, you know, Conlon was like, get that thing out of, off my set back to hell. Like, <laughs> so at the throw end it of- in the fire, like I'm going to throw that child into a fire later in this very movie. <laughs> get Dakota Fanning in here. <laughs> So great chucking there. Oh yeah, no, it's great. It's, that would be in her best actress reel for me too. Uh, yeah. So what they ended up doing is they uh, so they cast Mackenzie Foy, 
as a quote grown up version of Renesmee. Mm-hmm. And so um what is they she did related was... to Claire Foy? Gosh darn it, I didn't check. I don't know. Okay. Um right. that just... maybe. It's on a <laughs> I yeah, don't I don't know. But uh <laughs> apparently though, fans had been like the casting director Deborah Zane was like, I don't listen, I don't go on the internet, I don't let fans cast my movie. But apparently they had been saying Mackenzie Foy is like the perfect Renesmee. Uh Mimi, can you can you accredit that? Yes. That definitely did happen. I think it was one of those like kismet things because I think mm-hmm. for, you know, in the beginning of Twilight, whoever they cast was wrong. It felt like everybody was like, oh, gosh, they cast Robert Pattinson. He's Cedric Diggory. You know, people were losing their minds over the casting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is one of those things that just kind of worked out at the time. People really, really wanted Mackenzie Foy. Yeah. And that's what, who we got. What had she done prior to uh, Breaking Dawn? That I don't know because, like, I, I think like, she, why was everyone was it, they just like found some like random actress and was like, like a yes. JC Penny ad? Yeah, she's perfect. I mean, that's usually how it happens. Look at her face. Oh boy, <laughs> right? Okay. And that's certainly what Meyer said. She was like, she doesn't look real. We have to cast her now. Um, so they did. They cast Mackenzie Foy, and what Condon wanted to do was rather than ca- hire multitudes of babies <laughs> or different, you know, tw- sets of twins to play the ages differently. He he wanted to use digital imagery to have a body double. So like, there's a real baby, right? Like uh-huh. Robert Pattinson is holding a real baby, a physical baby, living baby, and then that baby's face in post is replaced with a D- a CG face that is based on photo references they got of Mackenzie Foy from a very young age, going back to when she was a baby. Oh. Uh-huh. So it's like real body, CG Mackenzie Foy face, slowly aging until we reach the nexus of Mackenzie Foy being the age that she's supposed to be. It's when like Charlie comes and like, whoa, you're super big. Like from that point forward, it's all just like regular Mackenzie Foy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, no, please. I was going to say, I'm also very impressed because I just looked her up because I wanted to see what she had done before Breaking Dawn. And the answer is uh, three guest spots on three different TV show episodes. Um, so I don't know how the Twilight fans found her, um, but, uh, uh, I, I, you know, didn't realize that this is the, the, the actress from, uh, the Nutcracker in the four realms or whatever that movie's called. Um, did I get that right? Is it four realms? How many realms is it? I think there's like nine. Is it nine like realms? Four? Is it four? No, that's Game of Thrones, right? Okay. Nine realms. I don't know. Anyway, the Nutcracker movie from. Great Kira oh. Knightley performance. Yeah, it's four. Uh, okay, oh, okay, it is four. Okay, way good. overshot. So, way overshot. So anyway, so I didn't realize that that was her, right? And so I then I saw her, what she looks like now at like twenty one, and I I was I'm instantly very impressed with the the shots that they have of her being older, like full grown, because I'm like, wow, she looks like Mackenzie Foy now. Like that's really impressive. They did a really good job. I don't know who yeah. they cast to play older, uh, older Renesmee, but uh, they did a good job if they augmented her in any way. Um, so I, I think this and the imprinting, the Renesmee effect and the imprinting are the few, like, to me, kind of like abject failures of the movie hmm. in, in terms of communicating something from the books. To me, I haven't read the books. So I'd love to get your opinion, Mimi, on like how they pulled off Renesmee as an effect. As a reader, they did her growth 
correctly. As a lover of movies, <laughs> it's still terrifying in a way that, you, like, you know, her face doesn't look right in scenes. And the shape of her head doesn't feel right mm -hmm. in scenes. It's just like a, a huge thing where I remember being in the theater with one other person and they were immediately like, oh, <laughs> you know, until she got bigger. So I, I do think like, I also think the whole process and it weirds everybody else out in the movie too. You know, they're like, it's weird. She's getting big, right? Like, <laughs> you know, everybody's a little like creeped that? out. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's a little creeped out by, uh, I forget her name, Renesme. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's all these memes now where people just say, like, regurgitate and mm -hmm. all of these different R words. And that's what pops up in my head or populates when I think of her. Receipt um, bag. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but it actually, it it does do what the book asked of it. Okay, cool. And it, it is freaky and weird. And it's freaky and weird to everybody around her. They're all like, this is uncomfortable. You shouldn't look this way. And I think the movie does a little bit too much of that, but it technically does it. Fair enough. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Scott, as a first time viewer, what were your thoughts on? Um, I was mostly forgiving of it because I was like, well, this is like the era where they, you know, put Chris Evans face on little Steve Rogers body. And like, mm -hmm. it doesn't look the best either. Like, I think this technology was so it was in its infancy, you know, mm -hmm. and it would get much better over the course of the the past decade but um yeah it's not yeah. great and i don't it's definitely creepy i just wish they had done something in the adaptation of it to let the audience know what they were doing right because oh. it's like one thing for book fans to get it because they're like, oh, yeah, I read the book and they it says in the book that this is what's going on and this is the feeling it's supposed to have. But there's not a moment in the movie where somebody's like, oh, yeah, so <laughs> she she has some kind of like otherworldly awareness. You know, like they never talk about that. And they have Edward right there being able to read her mind and could talk for her the way that she did. He, he did when um, Bella was pregnant with her and like read her mind then. Um didn't know what gender she was at the time for some reason, despite reading her mind. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, I felt it's because gender is a construct. Well, sure. that's true. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So she, she was just like, I'm a being. Yeah. She hadn't figured out. it out. Like, I yet. guess I'm a girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's, I'm some, some type of girl. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I wish there had been a bit where like somebody had been like, why does she look like that? And Edward explained it. You know, mm -hmm. because he knows, because he can read her mind and communicate with her. Um, I think that that would have been a, a more, um, I don't know, like just a, a better way to approach the adaptation of Renesmee's weirdness, <laughs> I think. Mm -hmm. I do think they thought it was covered by the fact that Renesmee so clearly has a power. Uh -huh. And it's that she can show you her mind if she touches you. Yeah. So they make a little comment of like... It's weird, <laughs> you know, like, watch what she can do. It's cool. It's, yeah. You know, like, they do a whole, like, little quick moment. Mm -hmm. But it, it's almost like if you blink, you miss it, and then it's just part of the story, so you don't know how they all felt about it at first. Right. Until we are, like, maybe a month in of her life, and she's, like, three. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And they're like, it's, it's going fast, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> and so, 
uh, before we get into the you know the plot and the battle and whatnot, very while as the Renesme business is going on, we briefly wrap up things with Charlie. Um, yes, and where we find out that Charlie is just like wrought with inactive guilt of like mourning of like is my daughter dead is she alive no one's telling me anything and jacob just finally takes pity on this poor guy and is like this has gone on far enough or maybe it's more selfish because it's jacob yeah <laughs> sorry maybe he's like nodding um <laughs> and so uh we i really like the imagery of charlie being invited into the forest for the first time because the forest is kind of like almost like midsummer night's dream it's the part where the magic stuff happens in the series mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sees Jacob turn into a wolf. I, what I love about this scene in particular, one, it's it's funny, right? Because it's just I love Charlie's reaction to Jacob putting taking his clothes off. He's like, "What the hell are you doing?" And then as he keeps going, Charlie's just like, "Well, I'm just gonna see how this plays out. This is weird enough that like you know, <laughs> yeah. I just want to see what's going on." Um, Kudos so- to Condon and 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 all both actors for not going into the very easy like gay panic humor yeah of, like yeah you know he charlie manages to be uncomfortable without being like hey whoa dude no i don't i'm not yeah anybody. yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, well, hey, Charlie's hey. uncomfortable all the time. Right. <laughs> you know, true. he's like, I don't want to be here. This is weird. Like, you people are weird. You're too pretty. You know, so he's he's kind of always uncomfortable and especially hanging out with his best friend's child. He's like, dude, like, hey, yeah, do you need do you want to talk to somebody like I don't know what's going on with you, bro. You know, <laughs> but he's just always really awkward. So I, I thought his reaction was really spot on and great. Yeah, sure. Um, but then the other thing that I like about it is that despite the fact that, like, yes, this is a selfish uh, choice um, on the part of Jacob. However, it is so insanely in character for him to do this uh, because he's constantly thinks as a 17, 16, 17 year old boy that he knows better um and and knows what's what's the right thing to do for everyone involved and constantly takes matters into his own hands and makes choices that are inherently selfish but he doesn't see it that way call it narcissism if you want but it's certainly he's constantly doing this kind of thing and so the fact that he does this feels so in character for him that i'm like yeah of course this is what this is the grand he's the grandson of a chief scott yeah, right. <laughs> I also love that you brought this up because Edward in the same way does the exact same thing and he's a hundred years older, you know? Right. And so it just shows that like some boys never sort of grow out of this phase of, I know it's best, don't worry about it. Um, and and I thought that was really fun to see. You could watch like a puppy, a literal puppy do it. And then you could watch like a grown man still do it yeah. and, and figure out which way you would rather deal with it. In a way, but I think what's so great about Bella, she's like, if you both don't cut it out, like I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> she's very often like, cut it out. I'm just gonna do what I want. You have to let me. So I, I really enjoy that that was sort of kept in. Yeah, the movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but I and then we get the scene between Bella and Charlie, which is great. I think you know it's the last big Billy Burke, Kristen Stewart scene that they have together, mm-hmm. and. You know, it's it's weird. Meyer chooses to kind of attempt to keep her world spinning and not keep the the order from changing too much by having Charlie. I can't, I just couldn't help think of like it wouldn't it be easier just to tell Charlie, "Hey, we're vampires." But then I guess you get into like him being a liability to like the Volt for the Volteri or 
and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the my okay, so <laughs> please. So here here's the thing. So I have I have I have issues with with this whole concept because you know, you'll often hear the defense. Well, like he can't know about them because if he knows about them, then the Votori will kill him. And I was like, yeah, but Stephanie Meyer made up that fucking rule and she made up the Volteri and it doesn't have to be a rule and she could have written around it so he could know the truth. Like it's so it just feels so forced into a corner. That it's like you could just write your way out. I want Charlie to know that his daughter's a vampire and that she's going to outlive him forever. Because I feel like as a parent, I think he would be freaked out at first, obviously. He would be like, oh, my God, like, she you're a vampire. That's, it's been, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so messed up. But then ultimately, I think I, as a parent, would be like, I mean, it's kind of cool that I never have to worry about my kid ever again. Like... They're just going to live forever. Like, my kid's never going to die. Like, that's kind of awesome. Like, what a weight off my shoulders, you know? Um, and, and there's an aspect of that that I think Charlie would be really into if he knew the truth. And then, like, and then we get written into a corner where Charlie's like, wow, she's growing up really fast. That's pretty weird, but I'm not allowed to ask questions about that, am I? <laughs> like, and it's it's weird. I, I don't know. I think it's more actually... Um... Number one, Charlie doesn't want to know because it's weird and he doesn't like weird. He doesn't do well with weird. Sure. So Charlie doesn't want to know. That's the number one. Um, and then number two, I think they're written that way because it's the idea that this is, will be the first person Bella will lose, you know, after living forever. And it's just going to be that. All of her connections are going to go away. Mm -hmm. And it, that's a huge part of Breaking Dawn Part 1 when – she gets married and she's looking out at the windows of people she should, will never see again. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yes, there's that rule for the Volturi, but it's more so because they will have to carry the memories of those people forever. Sure. And they could easily just like not. And then also Charlie truly just, he does not want to know. Yeah. Like that's that he's like, you're fine. Your baby looks just like you and you're saying it's adapted and it's fine. Like I don't need to know any more information because it's weird. You're safe. That's all I need to know. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's like mostly that character just being like purposefully obtuse. Uh -huh. right. He does not want uh, to know. Stuart actually says as much in the Blu-ray of like, yeah, this character kind of wants, wants to live in this state of blissful ignorance. And they've just kind of created this like, you can hear the essentials. This is your granddaughter. And I, I kind of agree with you, Scott, emotionally, where, like, I feel like I feel so bad for him that he'll never know that that is his, like, biological granddaughter. I mean, I um, think he knows, right? He knows. Oh, he knows. But he that's knows. the thing is, yeah. Is, like, yeah. He, he looks at her and he's just like, she's got your eyes. And he's just like, yep. <laughs> like, we're just going to leave it yeah. at that. He's like, need to know. And that's what that moment <laughs> you know, so is. is. Yeah. 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 That's what that moment is. He knows that, like, she's different. She looks more like the Collins now. And she looks safe. And, you know, he knows exactly what Jacob is because there's no real rule that he can't tell, you mm -hmm. know, so he knows exactly what Jacob is. So he confirms you're not a werewolf. Right. And she says no. And he's like, OK, great. I don't care about the rest. Okay. As long as you're not a little beastie and, you know, you're in my life. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a good parent. <laughs> yeah. You know, do, do what you got to do. Yeah. He does Just don't best. run away again. He does his best. You know, <laughs> just don't go off to a medical facility but in Switzerland. Better than her mom, let's be honest. Yeah. Who we do not see in this at all. Yeah. No. I. So, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is like 
they make this big deal, like you were talking about Mimi, about how like she's never going to see these people again. But I don't really understand why she can't ever see them again. Like I, I, I feel like. Like, why does she have to say goodbye now? And if she's going to say goodbye now, then why didn't she say goodbye? Like, we had that last scene with her friends from high school, and they were all at the wedding. And they, like, make a joke with each other, and they don't really talk to her. And then we never see them again. <laughs> and it's like... Well, that's because those people are not her friends. And that's kind of evident from, you know, the beginning. They are they were, like, a means to an end, but her people were the Cullens. It's, and so... It, that's more about her like becoming a Cullen. I see. It uh, it reminds me yeah. a lot of like if sometimes you when you are in high school you kind of are subject to the people around you, and mm. it's like well these are my friends while I'm but I still don't really feel that close to them. But then hopefully you graduate and you go somewhere else and you meet people who kind of you feel closer to and kind of can become your found family. Mm. Okay. Yeah, she'll always look at them fondly, but you know on Facebook. Um. Yeah. And from a distance, because she will look young and they will freak out. <laughs> I also <laughs> found it. I also right. found it bizarre that college never really came up in this series. Like her friends weren't talking about college really at all. Um, and that was, and I was like, I remember being in high school, and that's all anyone talked about was going to college when you're a senior. Um, and so it was very strange that like that never really came up. Uh, because you I know Jessica's liked... valedictorian. Yeah. Right. Like, I would have just liked that conversation of being like, so what college have you applied to? And, and her being like, well, I'm not going to college. And I would love to have seen Anna Kendrick's face when she heard Bella oh, tell her that okay. she wasn't going to college. Well, Bella does have plans to go to college. I think they're supposed to be going to Alaska. Oh. Um, to a college in Alaska. And when they're having those conversations, that's New Moon. So she's not present for for that at all mentally oh i see. so so it's it's like books or movies two through five okay. are all senior year oh. of, of that so when she should have been paying attention to those conversations and should have been applying and doing all of those things she was a zombie i can relate yeah. <laughs> uh and so one day uh renezame is creepily collecting snowflakes uh during a, a snowfall and she is spotted by Arena, uh, one of the Denali sisters, played by Maggie Grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the inciting incident of this this whole movie. Yeah. Uh, in general, this is a franchise about characters jumping to conclusions. Like Romeo yes. and Juliet. Every, yeah. Everything that happens in this, in this franchise, any forward momentum in any direction is all from a character jumping to a conclusion and then enacting something. Um, and in the case of, uh, of their cousin, their Alaskan cousin, uh, she immediately tattletales to Italy. <laughs> um, and uh, She's also, like, rubbed, you know, raw. She's upset still. Right. So. Over Laurent. Yeah. Right. So she's like, mm, I'm going to get them back real right. quick. Oh, you know, it, just like. Yeah. Because they also <laughs> yeah. say that. Oh, as quickly. Because Jacob was there with them. And so Arena saw them with Jacob and this weird, like, freaky flying baby. He's like, I'm going to tell the Volteri about this. Yeah. Yes. Is there, like, um, more. Like how dare you? Is there more of Inari's. Uh, is that her name? I think I said her name wrong. Um, uh, Maggie Grace's, like, motivation in the book. Um, no, oh. it's all very much, it's all very much like speculated by her family when we meet them later. Cool. 
Um, and then, you know, we learn the history, which we'll, I'm sure we're going to get into, of why that would have freaked her out so much. And then also, we know from the wedding that she's not in a good place with this family. Mm-hmm. So it's all sort of... But bubbling over. Oh, of course she might. She might do... You know, who knows why she would... <laughs> you know, it's all very yeah. much speculation. Yeah. Scott, how do you how do you feel about the setup and payoff? Because, like, yeah, like, when this character was introduced in part one, it was kind of like, oh, who is this? Why was that in the movie? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's... I still kind of feel that way. And I think that splitting up the setup payoff across two movies doesn't really work as well as I think they think that it does. Um, And and really like three movies, because it's, we're so disconnected from what happens in eclipse, the event of uh, that, that spurs this eventually. And it's kind of just a regurgitation of Victoria. Like it's kind of just the same thing again, you know, in a way it's a, it's a spurned lover out for revenge. And so it took, three movies to reach the end of that story and then we didn't know it at the time but we were starting another three movie revenge saga with this cousin um and it's just kind of the same thing again but not as good uh and uh not we do get that, an added uh, uh an added layer though about uh, the baby thing because you know we yes. do get that that flashback yes um which absolutely i that <laughs> i don't think i've ever enjoyed anything as much in the twilight uh, uh, sort of um, mythology as I have the immortal child uh, because obviously obviously uh, Stephanie Meyer s- saw or read Interview the Vampire and was just like god what a nightmare this kid is uh, that would be this should be illegal in vampire circles <laughs> Kristen Dunst is a nightmare <laughs> so yeah it's like uh, somehow the the Nolly sister's mother created a, a an immortal baby, right. and this newborn newborn vampire baby had yes. such a bloodlust that like these things were able to take out an entire village of, of mortals. Yeah, and so the the Volteri had to come in and and toss it on a fire. Yeah, well, because the idea is basically that like because children are little sociopaths. Anyway, anyway, because yeah. they haven't learned empathy, they haven't learned how to be a real person, that you take that, the like, I want, I want, I want vibes of a child, and then throw a bloodlust onto it. And it's like, yeah, they're just unstoppable killing machines who will never know any better. And it's like, that's a nightmare. <laughs> that, that, like, the only way to wake up from it is to throw it into a fire. Um, and, but I like that it, you know... I can imagine the situation in which you would turn a child as a vampire because you see like a child that's dying and you want to save it because you're like a mother and you're like, or, or anybody really. And just seeing a sick dying child and you're like, I have the power to stop this from happening. I could see why you would cross that line and then what would happen as a result. It's just, it's a really interesting piece of the twilight mythology that, you know, I'm a little bummed that this is the first time we're hearing about it. I wish something like this had happened in, like, Eclipse when Victoria was building her army or something like that. I think that would have been an interesting time to introduce the idea of an immortal child um, rather than waiting until here. Um, but I really like this. I think that it's a lot of fun. Mimi, how do you, uh, was this brought to life kind of accurately? Was there, like, was this a whole chapter in the books, the story being told? Yeah. 
It's like Jackson Rathbone's biggest speech. I think he's got like 51 lines in this movie, <laughs> which I counted first time I saw it. Um, it's his biggest speech, and it's a huge deal because uh, his character, um, whose name escapes me, Quiet Brother, um, does Jasper. not speak. Jasper, he does not speak. You know, he's, and the reason why he does not speak is because, you know, of all the terrible things that have happened to him, he's the youngest and he's the most volatile and he's seen a lot of immortal children and, and how they were used um, in some ways to win the vampire wars that were happening uh, during the Civil War time <laughs> um, and how they were used to just wipe out whole clans, basically. And that's the reason why clans don't aren't as big because the minute you start creating a family, you also then want a baby. Mm. And, and so I, I think that it was as far as all of the like historical flashbacks go, I think this is one of the better ones out of um, from the book to screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I love uh, like the glee that Michael Sheen has of just like, you know, just imposing pain on everyone in the Dakota fanning uh, yeah. tossing that baby. Oh, man, that's good. Just tossing yeah. that baby on the fire. Just just like barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I'm so happy. Oh. So <laughs> delighted. And so, uh, you know, Bella's like, well, that can't happen to Ron, 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 Roname, Ramadan. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, and that's kind of like, well, we have to go gather, if we can gather witnesses and convince the Volteri that she's, not an immortal she's gonna grow up quote asterisk and and pass away someday maybe we can preserve our way of life and so they set off on a quest so prior to the quest stuff i i would be remiss if i didn't bring up the whole the whole the whole part of um everyone all of the cullens having so much fun with bella's powers like they're just yeah where she's just like punching a rock and they're like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just having so much fun. And I just, <laughs> I just love that whole section where they're, they, it's like, yeah, we don't get to be around a newborn vampire too much. So this is fun for us too. <laughs> and I love that. I don't know. I only wish we had have gotten a baseball scene where she could have played. Oh, I wanted wow. that in the book as well. Oh, it's just sort yeah. of like it doesn't happen and I I know you have to wait for a storm and there's like not a storm, but I I really wanted to see her like finally get to do the things that she thought was amazing mm-hmm. about being a vampire and we see her run, we see her hunt. Yeah. Um, you know, we see her get to break a rock, we see her get to be stronger than Emmett. I just wish that she could have played and what her role as a baseball yeah. player would have been. Can you imagine a, a super massive black hole reprise? Oh. Yes, I can, and I wanted it. Oh, <laughs> brought the house down, and yeah, and like Kristen Stewart had a lot of fun filming that too. There's that part where there are he, she's arm wrestling with Callum Lutz, and they they break the rock, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Whoa, did you see that?" Like that's all her. That was unscripted because like she didn't expect the rock to break like that. <laughs> that's uh, great. And it really, but you're right, Scott. It really, I think like an underrated part of this series, especially the comfort aspect and why people do come back to this world again and again is like Bella really does find a safe second home with the Cullens Mm -hmm. and their undying, like just support of her throughout this whole series is, is really endearing. Yeah. I would say she finds a a safe first home, you know, because she lived with her dad and her mom and then broke up and her mom was constantly in and out of the house with her boyfriends, (laughs) you know, and then 
ships her back to live with her father in a nice way. Bella says, it's it's me, you know, I'm going to do it because you want to, she's like her mom, you know, she's mm-hmm. her mother's mom in that way. So she's never really had that safety. And then, of course, you have lovely Charlie, who's a little awkward and doesn't really know how to have those connections with people. Mm-hmm. So she's alone until she meets the Cullens. Yeah. And when she meets the Cullens, she finally finds her family. And in the books, there's even a greater emphasis on the fact that kind of Bella ends up taking care of Charlie as much as Charlie takes care of her in terms of like feeding yeah. him and making sure that he's staying on top of stuff. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, like he, he could definitely take care of himself, but it would be terrible and he might die quicker. <laughs> you know, so she's like, here's a salad, dad. Yeah. You know, like yeah. little little things like that. He would probably fall apart and he comes to rely on her mm-hmm. in that way. But it's a huge issue in the story because that's the part of the reason why her mom left mm-hmm. because right. it was all her having to create this thing. But the thing about Bella is she also had to do that for her mom. So she's already prepared to... To take care, right? To be a mom whenever she needs to, right? And yeah, like that—that that requires a lot of strength, you know. And I think mm-hmm. that speaks a lot to you know what she was able to accomplish even before Edward Cullen walked into the cafeteria, right? Yeah, right. Um, With those khakis, yeah, <laughs> looks so nasty. So, so the Cullens all split up to go get some witnesses. Alice and Jasper appear to bail. No one knows where they went. They just—they leave even... a note. Look to the east, right? <laughs> in a in a uh, ripped out, torn out page of the Merchant of Venice, uh, and uh, a, a a for some reason personal in joke, I guess for just Bella uh, to figure out because no one else is smart enough to go check the book that it was ripped out of. Um, uh, so um, so yeah, so they go and they gather up witnesses, other vampire clans to like introduce. Renesmee too and be like look see she's not an immortal child she I mean she is but it's like a different thing um, <laughs> and uh, that's when we're introduced to Rami Malek who is apparently the avatar um, yeah the Egyptian despite- mummies it, mummies the Egyptian vampires <laughs> yes um, she, he is apparently the avatar he has control over <laughs> all of the uh, all of the uh, like elements. fire and water and yeah all the elements earth um uh, presumably air, though I don't think we ever see him mess with air. Uh, was that a, was that a fun surprise for you, Scott? Rami Malek's appearance? It, it was. I did not know that Rami Malek was in this. Um, I knew about Lee Pace. I was not prepared Woo! for the level of Lee Pace that I got in this movie. Who was? Uh, yeah. Woo! I was. I was into <laughs> that. That was good. Um, that was real nice. So uh, yeah. So the two of them, and then a bunch of basically featured extras. <laughs> well, well. So and it's like and but. My favorite part of the movie, my single favorite part of the movie is this a movie about a series about a collection of oddballs and weirdos. Yeah. Glom on to a collection of even more oddballs and weirdos. Yeah. And like representing what Condon was really attracted to was they each played into a different archetype of the vampire mythos that he loved so much. Um, you had the Egyptian vampires, which were kind of like stoic. You had the two Transylvanian vampires that got to be like old school like i mean th- th- those two are my favorite um yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny though because they are from transylvania and they definitely have that vibe but then they're also like they're like euro trash vampires <laughs> which is just like a really uh i don't know just like a really silly like they feel like they perform at eurovision every year like you know like they're like a little duo every year i feel like they're like steampunk cosplayers yes. they're like, oh, we saw one movie one time and like yeah. 
this is who we are, baby. Sky and I, Captain I really in the world them. of tomorrow in 2004. And since then. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, uh, but- we have the, uh, the, the, the rest of the Denali's. We have uh, Joe Anderson playing Alistair, the kind of rugged English Christopher Lee hammer horror vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Lee Pace as Garrett. Who has mm-hmm. fought like like Lieutenant Dan's family has fought in every single American war? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I that have, was. I have please. questions about um, the dude who like jumped straight to the attic. Yeah, Alistair. Oh, that's Alistair. Okay, what what's his deal? Like, why why is he in this at all? Like, I feel like he doesn't really like add anything to the proceedings. Like, he's like, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to do anything. I don't know why I'm here, but like, uh, you know, fuck you guys. I'm going to the attic. And like the rest of the time he like hangs out in trees and watch shit happen. But like he doesn't do anything. So like what is his purpose in this? Can you shed some light on this? Because I don't get it in the movie, but maybe he has more of a place in the book. Um, His place is just to stir unrest okay. for everybody else. Everybody else is kind of feeling like once they meet. The child, yeah, this is something that's doable because the Volturi are true and and this is a truth and they'll just have to accept it. And from the get, he's like, no. <laughs> he was forced there. He's the only one who's forced there. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't believe. He doesn't care. He doesn't touch Renesme. He doesn't know what she can do. Um, so he's just sort of there to make everybody else uncomfortable and to keep them on their toes because it's very easy for some strange reason, for all of these vampires who can't feed in their immediate area to just become incredibly buddy-buddy and, like, a super family and everything's going to work out and it's magical and don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you see him stalking and you're like, oh, right, we might not succeed in this. We could all die. Mm -hmm. This could be the the big end for us. He's he's like the bad boy in the sports movie that never wants to go along with what the coach is doing. And he's like, this is bullshit. We're going to lose. But then at the very end, at the last practice, he, (laughs) like... Does nothing. He does nothing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so so he's ja- he's the Jamie from Ted Lasso. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, we have the Nomads. Uh, one of which is played by Tony Trucks, who Bill Condon was a big fan of. She had a uh, he was really happy with her work in Dreamgirls, but the entire role had to be cut um, from oh. the release. So he was like, oh, I really want to get Tony Trucks in this as like one of the Nomads. Um, and then he was a fan of Lee Pace, of course. So he was like, I have to get Lee Pace in a like you know vampire eyes and the long hair and like the the coat and the mm-hmm. uh yeah i'm just just a, I, I when the movie really clicks on to me and starts firing on all engines when it's just these people all hanging out together and like sharing their weird vampire backstories mm-hmm. and powers um, um are any of these guys in the uh the episode of what we do in the shadows with all of the pop culture vampires that would be any of them in that scene Lee Pace would have been a great addition to that. Yeah. Michael man. Sheen. Michael Sheen would have been great. Next level, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I feel like they'd all do it. Yeah, though they absolutely would have. Uh, I just, I, I'm worried that, like, they just didn't get any respect mm-hmm. for that, and I, and that bums me out a little. Uh, but hopefully... A lot of people forget Lee Pace is in this. Yeah. And I never do, because I'm like... Woo! Look I'm at so him. excited to see him. Yeah, no, he looks yeah. great. And it's such, a, everything he's, and it's he's such a fun role. He's like the rugged kind of Han Solo of the group. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's also like really quick to fall in love and is like, honey, I'll follow you anywhere. And you're like, wow, vampires really like, they really <laughs> mate for life. Like that's who they yeah. are. Yeah. Apparently. And I just, I don't know. It's, and Condon talked about how it's like each vampire had to have like one key moment, even if it is jumping into the attic, because it's like, we don't have time to like in a normal series, maybe we would have spaced these out like the order of the Phoenix, but we, we didn't. And yeah. so like the, the, the subplot, the romantic subplot between Lee Pace and the one Denali sister that has lightning powers, like totally hundred percent works for me, even though it's like literally three beats because it's yeah. three perfect yeah. beats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we learned that, uh, uh, RO is a serial coven killer. Apparently he loves yeah. killing covens of vampires. Well, he'll, he'll he pick one it. person like Alice. Right. That he wants for his 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 menagerie and he'll yes. wipe out the rest of the 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 the, the club. <laughs> I forgot yeah. the word. Coven. Co- coven. I was like, yeah. covens are witches. But they- yeah, he'll take a token Vampire. like yeah, a serial sure. killer. <laughs> he'll take a token <laughs> and then he'll kill the uh, kill all of them. Yeah. Um it's uh it's so so they're all freaked out because they're like, Yeah, he's totally gonna kill us and he wants Alice. Uh, so it, he's always wanted Alice and now he has an excuse to get her. And, uh, and I think that that's, um, he also wants Bella. Yes. He doesn't know what she can do. Okay. He doesn't care. He also wants Bella. Oh, okay. Because, be- because powers don't work on Bella and that really, because po- yeah, his powers didn't work on Bella as a human. So he was just like, I don't care what she can do. I can't wait to see her <laughs> and like get to know her as a vampire. Like that's why he's sending her necklaces throughout the series he's just like oh you know and that's why yeah. she's so worried and everybody else doesn't see it because they're like oh he does this all the time <laughs> it's not you it's alice yeah. but he also wants bella uh, um which is which is, is ha- when we learn that bella has always had the power of being a shield she's she a just shield, couldn't yeah. control it when she was a human but now there, that she's a vampire a, she can learn to to control it and protect others yeah there's a denali vampire who has the ability to see what other people's powers are and he's like, oh, hey, you didn't tell me Bella was a shield. And everyone's like, what? I'm like, yeah, total shield. <laughs> Try the... Um, Mimi, do you have like, a favorite like vampire that's introduced in this one? Um, I mean, it's Lee Pace, right? Okay, um, cool, cool. <laughs> but, but I would say, actually, I really like... I didn't see Rami Malak in anything before. Maybe, uh, I can't remember when Night at the Museum came out where he basically plays the same thing. Um, but... Uh, this was huge for me, seeing him and and their whole little coven of, like, quiet Earth craters, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, it just really excited me, mm-hmm. as well as Kate, the Denali sister who can electrocute people. I really, really loved how she was portrayed, um, and I love seeing her power shown on screen, because I was very unsure of how they were going to do it, um, reading it in the book. Yeah, it's actually one of the, it, it's like a really good effect. It, yeah. It was, I also really like Benjamin. I love that one little moment that he has when he like stands up to a moon and is like, mm-hmm. cause he's never left the, again, like just two, one or two really well executed beats of like, he's a little loner kid. He's never had friends, but he really cares about this cause and he's going to fight. Yeah. 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 It touched me right in the feels. <laughs> this is better than at least four of the X-Men movies. Yes. Absolutely. I would agree. I would say, of- I would argue maybe more than that, but yes. Yeah. Like a big group of superpowered weirdos that have to share scenes together and help each other and fall in love. Yeah. You know what? There's an insane amount of chemistry between them all. And it just really shows that they were all having a good time 
when they were filming and I believed that they were all having a good time and I, you know, it felt like they could do anything. And so I'm like, yeah, these are all vampires having a good time with each other. They're also like, you know, trying to make sure a baby doesn't die and they don't all die as well. But you know, whatever, they're having a good time. Yeah, I, Me too. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that Stephanie Meyer like walked backwards into creating the X-Men. Like, you know, like literally really, like, yeah. they all, they all have powers they're all like this like eclectic group of of weirdos with powers. They play baseball together for fun. Like <laughs> And then what we have here, because like the Cullens are like, you know, Carlisle, you know, Professor X. Yes. And the Cullens being his X-Men. And all of these vampires are here kind of on Carlisle's reputation. Yeah. Of like, we don't we're not one part of your X-Men, Carlisle, but like we respect you and we hate the friggin' uh Volteri, so we're gonna stand with you this one time. That's very X-Men. Yeah. Yeah, and then Aro, I guess, is like a Magneto kind of figure, sort of, uh, in terms of him just being like, no, we're just better than everybody else. Uh, <laughs> and you're endangering us by being friends with humans, our food. Um, yeah, and, uh, so. and I think my favorite scene of the whole movie is uh, kind of a lot. It's the, the, the campfire scene. Yeah. Where slowly, because they don't even need a campfire. Um, oh, but before we get into this, there was a deleted scene that I wanted to bring up. Uh, so that scene starts with Jacob bringing firewood to Benjamin Rami Malik. There was a first half of that scene where Jacob goes from the Quaalute camp to the vampire camp. And he checks in with Sam. He checks in with Leah or Seth and Leah. And it's meant to Condon was like, yeah, you haven't seen them this movie. And they're about to die in wolf form. So like and it would show that Jacob can now walk literally between both worlds and his friends with both worlds. But they cut the the Quaalute part of the scene, and so oh. like you barely see you know Seth and Leah before the big final, and it was just so indicative of like the way the Quaaludes have been treated for the whole series for me. Um, yeah. But you can tell Condon was sore about it too, for what it was worth. Yeah, uh, Mimi, how do you feel about now that we're kind of at the end of the series with like the the Quaalute of it all? Um, you know, I I think Stephanie Meyer did a interview or something i forget how i came about it but she basically said she only added them in because edward could not possibly tell bella that he was a vampire and she would need to learn it from somewhere else and then found out in forks washington there are these real life tribes that uh do you have a vampire myth and so just added it in for that and it became a bigger part of the story once twilight was so successful but it wasn't intended to be and it feels that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it just sort of feels like, oh, and then the last minute, let's add, you know, because even the time we spend in New Moon with Jacob, we don't really spend any time learning more about the history, um, you know, to the point where, like, I'm not going to spoil it till we get to the end. But, you know, they don't even know what they are, <laughs> you know, and that whole idea of of that never, we never touch until the very end of this story. And I, I just think that's wasted efforts like we went there let's go there so it feels fitting to me that that was cut because we cut a lot of who they could have been in this story right um that's like my number one problem yeah and it it just it just makes (laughs) at least it just makes the world feel less rich by yeah point because then we added all of these different characters from all over who like have dealt with the Volturi, have dealt with being a vampire in their own rights and then you get these people who have been here since the beginning who are going to help us do the fighting and, you know, you just stay separate. And there's a line like they stayed to their own camp because 
all the vampires were near and they, they you know more were popping up and suddenly there was like 50 wolves and there shouldn't have been they were all children <laughs> you know different things like that and i'm like oh that sounds awful yeah we should spend time with them <laughs> see how they're doing Check in on this. You brought all these vampires here, and now like four year olds are becoming wolves. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just seems like a good idea. Yeah. And Jacob trying to mentor them. Yeah. Uh, Which is important to show that he can handle children like R- that's R- true. Renesme. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So like, he needs to be able to like teach people because he's all been in himself, himself, mm-hmm. himself the entire franchise. So now that it's about someone else, he's finally able to. Grow up a little bit. Do that yeah. for his own people. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really great to see. Yeah. So uh, before the 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 meeting happens, mm-hmm. um, we have uh, Bella figuring out <laughs> figuring out Alice's secret message um, with the That's uh, right. Yeah, with, with the Merchant of, of Venice. Jane Jane's the book. Yeah, getting the info, burning the message, going to Seattle um it's random and and yeah and then uh uh meeting the guy who gets them ids when they want to move to get um, you know get another life kind of the closest thing twilight has to the concept of a familiar yes in vampire yeah. lore yeah um so it turned out that jasper ordered fresh ids bella thought she was showing up to get four new ids for herself, Edward, Jacob, and Renesmee. And it turns out that it's just Jacob and Renesmee. The plan is to have them go on their own. Um, which really shows how trusting they are of Jacob as a werewolf at this point. Um, you know, Jacob, I mean, just like a movie ago, had uh, like hated the Cullens. <laughs> And now they're like trusting that trusting him with their basically what is ostensibly like their niece or grandchild and the, the case baby of, of the family now of them yeah the baby of the family, um and uh, I, I don't know like it's it really it's it's interesting um how and it's told through action of, yeah yeah he's like the Uncle Jesse of like the Full House of this of the Cullen oh, family hell yeah. <laughs> yeah so um I really is this if, you know uh, if if Uncle Jesse had uh. Had imprinted on Michelle, I guess. Oof. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a bit of visceral reaction to that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, Jay Jenks good. is played by the great Wendell Pierce from The Wire, and he was also filming Treme in Louisiana, which is how he was so easily able to come by and, and film this in Baton Rouge. Uh, Mimi, is Jay Jenks more of a presence in, in Breaking Dawn the book? This story is completely different in the book. Oh. Um, they get, or uh, Bella gets Jay Jenks's information, goes to where Jasper usually meets him, um, is told to go to the proper office because it, he's a she's a different person than Jasper, um, and makes the ask to have the IDs for Jacob and oh. Renesmee to go off on their own. Changes their name, does a whole thing for them because she's worried about them not being successful and about dying. So it's like the entire time they're getting all these people to do stuff. Alistair in the, in the attic is scaring her so much that when she figures out who Jay Jenks is, she goes there and then 
asks for these records. Now, mind you, Jasper is not nice to Jay Jenks, so he's like, I'll happily do anything you want, Bella. <laughs> she uh, overpays him and does this whole whole thing, you know, so it's like a huge show of the way the Cullens will move forward if they survive, mm. because she's there. Okay. You know, she's the closest to humanity. Um, but I do think that I I like how they do it in, in this series, in the, in the movies, because it just shows that they accept Jacob. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But in the actual book series, this is Bella being terrified for her life and, and terrified for her baby and wanting her to go with the only person who's safe. So she's like actively asking Jacob to leave his family mm. and leave his tribe and leave the children he's been teaching behind ah. to go take care of her daughter without ever saying it because she just puts all that information in her backpack and never tells anybody <laughs> she did it. <laughs> wow. so it's just sort of like it's a it's a whole different thing where it's the first time she's ever really thought about herself i guess yeah. in in that way it's a completely selfish right yeah. moment for bella which is really nice to see because she's been about these two people um the entire time and, and going like oh well who will it help if i'm with them and all of that stuff so it's a completely selfish move uh, to protect her child and Jacob. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. For, yeah. I guess from a hero's journey standpoint, I guess it reminds me a lot of like, you know, you see characters like Rey from Star Wars or Harry Potter, right before kind of making some sort of ultimate sacrifice, they do kind of retreat back and become very self-aware. Like, well, what, what do I want? What do I want to be? I don't want to, maybe I don't want this life. What if I die? You know? Yeah, that like yeah. that final refusal of the call. Um, right. Yeah. But I think what's great about this one is that she doesn't make one for herself. She makes one for Jacob and for Renesmee. Yeah. Just like, I'm not living without Edward. I'm done with that. Mm. So yeah. if he dies, I die. So you take my baby and make sure she's okay. So it's just like a decision that she will accept whatever's coming. Yeah. And, and she's not going to try and, and fight it, which is a, actually a huge reason why this movie doesn't um, work for me. But I'll get into it when we get there. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we uh, after the oh, this is we we uh, Condon said on the commentary the Wendell Pierce scene was weirdly the longest scene of just dialogue that happened in like both movies. Whoa, and it's kind of a cool little scene. It's like the, a chess match. If he wants to know more about what he's been doing this whole time, and but right. she's trying to find something else out from him. It's a cool little scene. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. And then we get um, we get Christmas. Uh, yeah is this the first holiday we've seen in the movies so far no i because well you know this is this is christmas one year prior we had christmas but bella was in a fugue state sure Uh, so so she missed it she missed it (laughs) i don't know if you talked about it when you went over new moon but the way that's written is just yeah the chapter titles yeah Mm -hmm. and then i thought it was brilliant and i think all of my friends in line when we went to go see new moon we're like, oh my god, they're doing this so perfect because I don't know how they would have showed that time moved on, right? And then they did it that way, and I was like, it's like she's turning a page. Yeah, so yeah, it was really huge for us. And yeah, yeah that just I, I want to talk about something at, at the end of this, just about how this these movie series treated the fandom and treated adaptation mm-hmm. in a way that I think is really interesting. But we'll get to that. Um, yeah. Um. So so yeah. So they uh, they bought Charlie a non refundable uh, <laughs> uh, trip, a little vacation mm-hmm. that he's has to go on. The next day, and he's like, "Are you trying to get rid of me?" And that's a really great moment. He's like, "Cause it's working." <laughs> like he just—it's <laughs> like the best, Blissfully my favorite ignorant. Charlie moment. <laughs> he's finally letting someone in. He's dating Harry Clearwater's widow. Is that yes? 
Interesting. That's correct. Seth and Leah's mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could have. Uh, He's I, embedding himself in this life, even though he doesn't want to be a part of the life. Right. Yeah. It's really. Uh, you know, yeah. Mimi, we've talked a few episodes now about how. In another dimension, Twilight is like Teen Wolf, where it's like a five-year or six-year MTV series. And yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I would want a whole scene about what do Leah and Seth think about Charlie potentially being in their, their life, you know? Well, so so does this only happen because Jacob revealed the whole werewolf side of them? So now he's kind of like, he knows everything about the clan that they have hidden from him. And so that's the only reason he's able to date her now is because she doesn't have to hide no. any of that stuff from him. No, no, because she's not a wolf. So she, it's not like her thing that she gets to tell him. And he now knows about wolves, but it's like they get close during preparations for Harry's funeral. <laughs> that sounds awful, ah. <laughs> but they get really close and it becomes a thing that they're kind of already considering. And then there's this added bonus now that there really are no secrets between Quilliots and Charlie. Okay. So they have like, why not? They have like one cute little scene in part one. Uh, where he's like, hey, going to get you a drink? And then Billy's like, hey, yeah, you know, kind of literally pull, puts a wedge between the two of them. Right, right. But I think that's all we've gotten to see in the movies of them, like their courtship. Yeah, it, it's honestly like their courtship only happens in this book. Okay. You know, you don't really see it beforehand. It's like suddenly, I think even Bella's like, oh, and, <laughs> you yeah. know, like Sue's here. Like Lupin and Tom. <laughs> like, interesting. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, okay. I see it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? I, I, you know, I guess so I haven't seen. I haven't seen either of you in a long time. I guess stuff can happen while I'm not. I, yeah. I guess that's the downside of you know writing a book in a first person uh, perspective mm. because you you don't get to just like have a scene with like just Charlie and Sue like you know doing stuff without Bella in the room you know so um, yeah Watching. I guess that makes sense that it although I will like say that. they do something anyway in in these movies and that's the thing that bothers me. That we don't see in the stories. Oh, have we gotten and to so it? Yet? I was v- no, not yet. Okay, cool, I'm, cool. I'm very frustrated. I'm ready. Um, so <laughs> then we get to the meeting. Is this the cl- same clearing where their baseball field is? Uh, it is decidedly not. Oh, okay. Um, so people approach Condon in the planning stages of like, what if this was the baseball field? What if this was where the battle for Eclipse happened? And Condon was like, I just for some reason I see a low level and white and i just want a big low level white blank field that's what i want and so they spent like five or six weeks doing a full like location scout Uh and they finally found a location but then of course weather stuff came into play and so what they did was they recreated the field on a massive sound stage and use google earth to like use the real location as a reference when designing it in Mm. both post and in the sound stages and like this thing was huge the sound stages were so big that they had street names like to get to costumes you take a left on congress and a right on this so that people wouldn't get lost (laughs) wow um people that's amazing there was like sensory deprivation going on they filmed this battle within like three weeks so like time wouldn't pass people started regressing um (laughs) Like people started doing talking like children and playing games like hand games just to like pass the time. Um, so at one point, stuff was getting so dire that um, Lee Pace had this idea and he spread it to like the other actors, the other uh, the 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 good the X Men vampires uh-huh. as like a surprise for the Volteri and the crew. What if at one point they all just did a dance off? 
So in secret, all of the, the good guy vampires practice and choreographed a full-on dance scene without telling anybody. And then they're getting ready to shoot like a face-off where they're all about to face off. And Lee Pace is like, I have a better idea. Let's dance. And like they even like got the DP in on it to be like, okay, here's where you want to be in the frame. And so they do this full on dance off and Bill Condon's like blown away. He's like, Whoa, my God. And it was, <laughs> this is cool. Moment. Are you, wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that Ronan, the accuser was <laughs> responsible right, yeah. for another dance off? <laughs> oh man. And then of course the Volteri got, got in on it too. So then it became, Oh, uh, that's fun. But yeah, no, that's Yeah. He was, he was a bit on either side of a dance off. Yeah. That really shows you the kind of, uh, actor lee pace must be in terms of like someone to work with because the fact that he could bring this whole like cast together in this moment despite having never been in the franchise before now and like Mm -hmm. they all have their thing going on that they've been doing for years at this point but then he comes in as like let's do a dance off and everyone's like hell yeah lee pace let's do it that guy's eight feet tall let's do what he says (laughs) yeah yeah well it wasn't just him the addition of Mackenzie foy Mm -hmm. they had to put a swear jar on set oh really (laughs) because they were all like adults now cursing mm-hmm. and then she'd be like "Ooh, language oh, <laughs> it was like a huge a huge thing so it really the entire new editions of the breaking dawn saga uh, you know wow really changed their dynamic and made them more of mm-hmm. a family and condon really uh noticed how uh kristen stewart and mackenzie foy sort of adhered to each other it reminded him a lot he was like oh shit mackenzie foy is not that much older than kristen stewart was when she was in panic room and the way that Jodie Foster sort of took in Kristen Stewart and mentored her, mentored her on that film, he was like watching history repeat itself. And, you know, Kristen Stewart sort of acted as an off-screen mentor to Mackenzie Foy as well. Mm. So, I don't know. Like, weird relationships happen when you're making these movies. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the meeting happens and, you know, it's tense and there's some silly back and forth going on of like... <laughs> Of like, uh, what is that game where you where you uh, where somebody runs over to the other side? Um, Red Rover. Yeah, it's a real Red <laughs> Rover vibes, like like dramatic Red Rover. Um, and uh, and eventually, tensions are getting uh, to a boiling point. Um, they realize that they're wrong about uh, Renesme, and uh, the cousin gets murdered as a result of her mistake, which she feels really bad about. Um, but, uh, then Alice and Jasper show up and Alice is like, Hey, like her existence isn't going to mess things up. I'll show you. And he goes, mm-hmm. she goes over to him and arrow touches her hand and then things happen. A battle commences. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, and this is my understanding. One of the most, if not the most controversial thing that the franchise ever does which is has this battle happen that never happened in the book, and it ends up just being a sort of a a shared uh, dream sequence, a possible future that Alice shares with with Arrow um, that results in his death, and uh, ends up with um, you know him backing down because he's like, well, I don't want to die, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I my understanding is that this was like extremely controversial in the theater, and that people were like 
Twihards were like crying and screaming because people were dying that didn't die in the book. This is my issue with the entire Twilight franchise. Oh. There are no fight scenes in any of these books. Oh. And it's clearly a choice that's made for boyfriends in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I, I understand why the choice is made. But the first fight scene in Twilight, Bella is turning. So she's not paying attention to any fight scenes. So there's not a fight scene in that story. It just ends and we hear about it later. In New Moon, there's a little bit of a kerfluffle um, between uh, who Edward and the Volturi. Doesn't happen in the books. It's not something that ever happens. In the third one, sure, Bella watches Edward and uh, Boo Boo Stewart. I forget his name in the movie. Seth. Uh, Seth fight Victoria because she's there, but we don't see the entire huge fight at all. Um, And then you get to this series. There are no fights in this series at all whatsoever. And then they made this last one a like, and that's what will happen if you pursue your routes. But the whole point of uh, Arrow doing this is that he's going to pursue this route period forever. Like as long as he wants to, he will never forget what happens there today. He is coming back for Bella. He is coming back for Alice. You know, he could use Jasper. He's like, oh, now I see all of the different people I can use. So the fight is not necessary. The battle in the books is more about Bella learning how far she can push her powers. Because up until that point, she can't protect as many people she has on her side. Mm-hmm. And she even stretches it. She like likens it to a rubber band. She stretches it out when... Edward goes forward, she protects Alice when Alice goes forward, and it's this huge moment of her coming into her vampire powers because they talk about how it takes them years to figure out how to do it, and she does it so quickly, you know, because she's forced to. And that's part of the reason why, you know, Arrow wants her so bad. She's that powerful. But instead, we made it about this huge fight scene to back Arrow off, but it's not going to because he's coming back for them regardless. I think even they say, you know, for now, like, yeah, we won for now. <laughs> we have a little moment because he's going to come back for them. That's all he wants. So it's it's really like this entire scene could have been a Jay Jenks Bella scene. It's all talking. It's all them like moving chess pieces and going, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, no, that doesn't work. And it's all mental, which I think would have been really fun to see. But we had to do something for the boyfriends in the room. And it really, really bothered me. When you you said Jay Jenks, I just imagined if Wendell Pierce strolled into the field in a cell. Oh, what's going to happen now? What's he going to do? He's like, actually. (laughs) uh, So, yeah, like from my understanding is that um, exactly what you said, that the book kind of to you. I I, I haven't read the book, but like anticlimactic quote, air quotes, because climax means action, combat, fighting. Because it's the last part of a book. And Condon very much felt that. He was like, I can't imagine. I don't even know if I would sign on to this movie if the ending was Alice coming at the last second with a deus ex machina and everybody uh, talks it out. And that is, that's exactly what Myers liked about her ending. She didn't want to end with a big battle. She wanted this to be about people talking it out and people, like you said, Scott, like big misunderstandings that could have been resolved over a conversation, uh-huh. you know? And so Condon was like, we can't do that. So one night over, uh, while they're making eclipse, the brain trust, as it were, had a, had a dinner and they were like, how are we going to do this? And Meyer was like, well, I don't know 
that I'm not going to come back to these characters someday. So none of them can die. No one can be off the table because I don't know who I'm going to need to come back to. And so eventually Rosenberg and Condon came up with the idea of like, well, what if we show the battle? What we should we see what Arrow sees? And so, you know, um, I, I, I can see like the, 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 like the it's for your boyfriend argument, because I kind of think that's something the series has done in the past, um, mm-hmm. especially with like Eclipse and kind of apologizing for the romantic aspects of it. That being said, this is one of the most entertaining fight scenes in a movie for me, period. I would even say this is like more entertaining and well choreographed than like Endgame mm-hmm. um, and uh, shorter, too. And so, like, I have a lot of fun watching this, and it's kind of, I did, I guess, like, I kept thinking about Twilight, the first movie, and like, God, look how far we've come. <laughs> sure. This is crazy. I, I, I like it, too. Um, I guess I'm supposed to, because it was made for You're me. You're a boyfriend, uh, apparently. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, but I will say that there are aspects of it that I don't like, and those aspects are things like... You know, this is this thing that Alice is showing Arrow, but then we cut to like Jacob and Renezme like go like on their own, like doing their own thing. And I'm like, was she showing him that too? Like it just like it's one <laughs> thing to sh- you know to to show him like what he experiences in the battle, but that was like that's like a whole other thing. And then it has and she can't do that. right because then it's fake because she can't see him right. So then it's like <laughs> it's it's all fake. It's not real. So then, like, how did we have any of the Jacob Renesme stuff? Um, and so, like, there's aspects to it that I don't like, that I don't think really hold a lot of water. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think that, you know, I really like the way that it ends with him getting his head cut off and the fire coming toward him. And then it's like he snaps out and he's like, okay, so, like, let's everybody <laughs> calm down. And, like, I like how selfish it feels in the moment from, from Arrow's perspective. I So I like that part of it. But, yeah, I think it could have done been done better. And at the end of the day, was it necessary? Almost certainly not. But I also get from a studio perspective why you would not want to just end this entire franchise on a conversation in a field <laughs> was that ending divisive at all to readers Mimi on the page yeah okay I think like when people were reading it well I will say no because Arrow actively is throwing stuff at Bella's shield the entire time they're on that field so it's like uh what's her name I can't remember Dakota Jane Alice Jane? no Jane I was right the first yeah time. Jane, Jane. So Jane has a twin, Alec, and he has a power which we never really see, but it's supposed to be the utmost terrifying thing, you know, and they talk about it like he's got this power and he's trying to use it against Bella almost immediately when they step on the field. Mm -hmm. So it's this huge issue where I think it starts, you see it coming out of his hands when Arrow's like, no, no, and it's just this like black stuff coming out of his hands, but it's supposed to show you your... Yeah, it's like supposed to show your ultimate fear. They're like talking about like, oh, gosh, this thing will have you locked in some asylum at some mm-hmm. point. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to be anywhere near him. And that's why he collected those twins, right? His tokens, because they have really crazy powers from a very far distance. So the entire time Bella's learning how far her powers can stretch. They can stretch a mile, if you will. Mm-hmm. And as, as far as theirs can stretch hers can stretch and so he arrows learning oh i really really want bella like that is such a good 
power and like try something else and he's just like looking at other people and Bella's like I can feel them trying to get in my shield and they can't do it and they're pissed off about it so I think like it's it's really a dance between Arrow and Bella mm-hmm. Arrow calling the shots and Bella deflecting Mm, yeah, and then Edward, of course, being like, "Wow, are you doing that? Like, you're so strong." <laughs> and there's moments where she's like, "I have to like bring my power back so that he can touch Renesme." And no, you know, sorry, <laughs> so he can touch Renesme. And no, what's going on? And it's all like it's all in her head. There's people who just leave. They're like, "I witness. Thank you so much. I'm gone." People who are just you know leaving as soon as they can, <laughs> and even um, the Volturi brings their own witnesses, and the witnesses get upset. They're like frustrated mm-hmm. behind them. Like, uh, no, it it's clear this was all a mistake. We should go. And there was like, hmm, how else can we do these things? And more importantly, you know, Alice comes out great, but the next group of people she has with her comes out sooner. So there's a bigger conversation as to who that person is and and why they are important to the story and why arrow can just back off mm-hmm. but he's just like yeah okay for now we will leave <laughs> <laughs> you know we'll see you soon well, yeah and, and you're right scott like it is a very <laughs> selfish decision and that kind of reminds me of um I, I don't know if i got to bring this up and break it down part one but michael sheen found a pretty to me really creative fun way of playing arrow which is that he looked at this guy that's been alive for tens of thousands of years living in this little catacomb in in in, in italy and he's like, oh, he would be so, like, mind-numbingly bored by existence that any kind of hint of new or novelty he would just snap at and be delighted by. But it, then he went a step further, and it's like he's actually tr- pretending to be interested. He compared it to, like, when a, when a grandmother gets, like, a wedding invitation. He goes, oh, Michael and Susan are getting married. That's so lovely. And it's like, I don't really care, but I'm 90. I, I like... I like thinking about, and so it's like he he's created this mask for himself that is will chase these baubles and like these tokens. But as soon as his actual life is threatened and there's actual danger, he's like, "Oh wait, this isn't fun anymore. Like I'm out." Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, so he uh, he bails and and everybody and they bail fast. They walk up slow. And then they they zap away. <laughs> yeah, Condon is... compared it to like the scurrying away of rats. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they all good comparison. Yeah. yeah. So they all yeah. bail. I like to think um, one of those witnesses was contest winner Kai Wildermuth from New oh. Moon, whose job right? was taking uh, the guy who won the contest in New Moon that take that took off Arrow's jacket. I just like to think he's still there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope he was too. <laughs> you got him, Mister A. <laughs> um, Whatever, bro. <laughs> Thank you, uh, and then we see we see Alice's vision of a of a seven year old Renesme, uh, which seven years old is apparently like full grown at that point. Yeah, because that's what Nawal says. He's like, right. I, I I grew for seven years and then never again. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is uh, which is fun. And also, we learn that they have the power to turn others into vampires, even though no, no, only the boys do. The girls do not. So, oh. like, Edward can, Jasper can, Rosalie cannot. Rosalie can. Oh, okay. Nual can. Okay. Renesme cannot. Okay. Renesme is bite isn't venomous. That's why, like, she spends a lot of time biting Jacob 
you know, when she's a baby. Sure. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Sounds okay. awful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awful. But Noel can write, but he says, my sisters, oh. I have sisters, okay. and they do not turn anyone. They just live. Oh. They're immortal. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, Scott, are yeah. you are you referring to the vision Alice has at the very end of the movie? Yeah. Um, so, again, we talked about this at the very beginning. The movie goes out of its way to show you Bella and Edward going on what is very, to me, coded as a double date, a romantic yes. double date at La Push with Renezme and Jacob. And I'm like, why are you showing me? If, if you want me so badly to believe that this isn't sexual and romantic, why do you insist on showing me romantic imagery with these two characters? Because Renezme is going to want it to be sexual at some point. <laughs> like, and, that's, that's the whole point. And, like, Jacob, Jacob makes that joke where it's like, can I call you dad? And Edward's like, no. And I'm like, you can't joke about that yet, man. Like, <laughs> it's not funny yet. One day, <laughs> right. one day, maybe you guys can look back at this and laugh, but it's not, yeah, it's not when she looks it, like she's five. Like, it's currently yeah. happening. It's still weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's so, why I just think the imprinting stuff was just kind of mis mishandled. If if that was their yes. goal, yeah, I think the imprinting stuff was completely unnecessary. But once you have this person who's supposed to be in Bella's life at all costs, it feels like for some strange reason you do have to explain it when she doesn't choose him. <laughs> you know, you do have to say there's a reason he needed to be with her, and like you know almost died trying to be with her, you know, and it's because one of her eggs, you know, like whatever yeah. they're trying to say. Um, so it, it felt, I think like everybody who read it was kind of like, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't like it. I don't yeah. need it. Kind of that, but like, kind of like it's Harry and Ginny, I guess something that, yeah. 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 But I also think the, it goes back to, cause I, I recently showed all of these movies to a friend who, was just like, I don't get why this would work for anyone. And I'm like, because this is a hundred year old person who's seen a lot of stuff and is choosing Bella. So it's like every girl's fantasy is to be chosen by the hottest guy at the school when she's younger or a girl, depending how you feel. Um, you know, but the hottest person at school who will just love them regardless of who they are and regardless of or because of who they are, even so. And then to have another person also say the same thing, that battle between the two of them and what will that look like and how will that feel and who will you choose um once she chooses usually that's the end of the story so you need something there to be like hey this is the reason why she was feeling it all pull to this other person mm -hmm. so we get it do we like it no and i think even um one of one of jacob's friends imprints on a baby as well Mm -hmm. and meets her and the baby lives in a different i think they show this in the movie do they not um might be in it. yeah it might be an eclipse maybe okay on that but beach scene the first time we learn about it, yeah. yeah and like his friend is hanging out with the baby and and they're all talking about how like oh, all of them imprinted or whatever and then bella's like ew that's gross and he's just like no it's not like that for now <laughs> you know like right now he's just like a big brother type situation and they really do a lot to explain away how it'll be fine in seven years, yeah. <laughs> you know, but right now it's just yeah, oh still the, rubbing the, me the wrong the way. The optics aren't great, to put it lightly. Yeah. No. And then uh, we get uh, Condon's idea, which Meyer wasn't crazy about at first, but that, that final scene in the meadow. Right, right. Back in the meadow and, and uh, she 
Bella drops her shield so that Edward can read her mind for the first time and yeah. uh, and finds out just how much she loves him. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of yeah. seen as like a metaphor for the last stage in a relationship where you finally let your guard down and wholly let this other person in mm-hmm. and this giving the gift of like, look at how I've look at what you've meant to me this whole time. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, I, I guess but the kind of in, in line with the series philosophy, which is this like very kind of classical version of like a partnership, which is like, there is no me anymore. It's just us. I'm giving you all parts of me. And I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, like, I think that montage is super effective. Um, and I get a little verklempt <laughs> seeing like 18 year old, Robert Pattinson, yeah. Kristen Stewart, and seeing how much they've grown. I just like how it it's like, here, remember Twilight? Remember New Moon? There was Eclipse. Remember the last movie? Like, it was, it just, like, kind of just, it's like half a second of Eclipse before it moves right onto the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and this was all, like, alternate takes and B-roll of the previous movies. Oh, um, that's cool. Like, angle like, it like seeing it from a different perspective. That's, that's yeah. cool. That's, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Did you say Meyer didn't like that scene, or did she just not like that it was in the meadow? I think it was the second part more than, like, where it was. Like, going back to the meadow was more of a Condon, like, I really like this. And Meyer was like, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because that's literally, like, where the whole franchise started for her was, like, that image that she had, right? Yeah. Yeah, that dream. So it's interesting that she would have an issue with it ending that way because I feel like that's the obvious way to end it. I can't even imagine another way to end it. Where, where does it... it ends in their house oh, okay. <laughs> in their little cottage house, because that's where they're going to start the rest of their lives. Right. It's like the meadow was where they had all of their stuff when she was human. But yeah. now that she's a vampire, the world is her oyster and it's that's their home base for now. Yeah. Because they're going to keep moving every five years. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even talk about the circle nature of it. I don't know. I think but, yeah. I do, too. But we didn't talk about the cottage, which to me is alice's like masterpiece she's kind of like a manic pixie best friend Mm -hmm. like meyer wrote her to be like wouldn't it be great to have this friend that would like plan your whole wedding and build you a dream cottage and i don't know it's like interesting that that's kind of as far as the character goes Mm -hmm. um at least in the movie but yeah like I, i think i do like that it's in the meadow apparently it was like heavily composited and there's a lot of like plates and stuff going on to get it looking right um but then, yeah, and then we get that last montage, and then we get uh, a curtain call of all the actors. Yeah, well, they we literally close the book, and we get the last line from the book series, which was, I thought, I you know, goes to what you were talking about with the way that it, like, so respectfully sort of tries to adapt these books. And, like, you know, it. Yeah. we never saw any of J.K. Rowling's writing in any of the Harry <laughs> Potter books, but we get that final, uh, that final, like, sentence. Um, from the Twilight series to to wrap the the the, the movie series up, um, but yeah, and then we get like an end game, uh, uh, end game, uh, undiscovered country style. This is the end of this franchise. Yeah. I believe you mean end game used a Breaking Dawn Part Two style. Uh, uh, yeah, call. sure. Technically, sure. I'm not. Yeah, I'm trying to tell the listeners <laughs> what we're talking about here in case they're not watching along. But yes, um, the thing that blew me away was both victorias really i was 
shocked. I was like, wow, what a slap in the face. Um, uh, yeah, I, Condon, I, uh, Condon sent that to Rochelle Leverve, and he was like, are you cool if I do both? And she was like, yeah, no, please. Yeah, I, I want you okay. to. Okay. That's good. That's good, I guess. But like, it just, man, it just, they did her so dirty. And like, then to just be like, see, we love her. We loved her. She was, she was great. And I was like, you guys didn't love her. You jerks. <laughs> <laughs> It really bothers me. <laughs> you gave her a sticker. She deserves a trophy. Yeah, oh, man. Uh, anyway, uh, Mimi, how do you how do you feel about the curtain call and this kind of like bringing back everyone that's been in the in the whole series? Yeah, I cried. I mean, for sure, it's not hard to get me to cry in a, in a movie. I cried at Catwoman, Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I cried. It hit me right in the feels, and it felt like an ending. You know. Um, and I, I think, like, that's kind of important for these franchises because otherwise people get ideas about opening them back up when they've clearly ended and this story is over, you know, and I really appreciate that. I think Stephanie Meyer has gone back to the Twilight universe to write books and it's the book she promised us when she came out with Breaking Dawn, which is Twilight from Edward's perspective, uh, Midnight Sun, and then Life and Death, which is If Bella Were a Boy how we would get to the end of the series so quickly, <laughs> you know, because they get, they go off and, and become a vampire at the end of that book. So I think that even she's not going back to it in a way that like, we can continue this story for, forward. It's, it's done. And of course there are ways to do it, right? You are arrows coming back at some point, but I, I really enjoyed that this put a, a cap on it mm-hmm. because it felt like at the time that the actors were so done mm-hmm. as well. Right. They're like, this is our, we're good. So like, thank you so much. And, and the movie sort of ends in a way that we're never seeing these people become these people again. Yeah. And I really appreciated that mm-hmm. because I do feel like a lot of movies leave it up for some hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I didn't want that hope. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scott, as a first time, like finishing the saga for the first time, did the, did the overture curtain call elicit any emotion from you? Yeah, no, it made me a little overclumped for sure. Um, I do remember that curtain call being, I would say, the start of the Renaissance because I remember like a couple of years ago, it started going around as a meme where people put it to different mute to different songs, um, and it was like it was like a meme that was going around, and I was like, oh, that's really funny. And I feel like that was the start of like the Twilight Renaissance where people started to be sort of in on the joke a little bit with the franchise of like, no, it's actually fun that this shit, this, this thing is so extra, you know? Right. Going from the mean spirited memes of the 2000s to the kind of like absurd, crazy, loving memes of the 2020s. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, no, I really, I really liked it. And I, and I, I love, um, you know, the the backwards nature of it where you start with like the people who didn't even have lines of dialogue in this movie to like you end on on the final three and like that sort of build up to that was like really fun um and and it, yeah it's just really well edited and really well i could see people leaving the theater uh, a weeping mess absolutely and i don't i think that's also kind of why i like the rochelle de verve like the fact that she the when the note when you show when you see the nomads the three of them that's when the audience is like oh they I know what they're doing they're showing everyone that's so cool you know yeah 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 
yeah absolutely. Uh, that weird that weird walk i mean yeah we'll, we'll get into our like wrap up emotions in our in our between episode right um but i guess mimi one thing i'm i'm, I'm curious is like so like are as a fan but you're as someone who's kind of sounds like they're ready to move on are you cool with like the way that Meyer seems to be more interested in remixing the saga more than moving forward and saying like, what comes next? No, I think she should find a new hobby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think Twilight is done. I think Twilight made so many impactful, uh, you know, impactful responses to fandoms, to community, to, the internet to memes to movies how we see movies how we treat movies or franchises in particular how seriously we take YA novels like it really changed things and made vampires sexy again and you know like you know made vampires be lovely again and and without it we don't get vampire diaries and all of their subsequent <laughs> shows you know it really it really like moved us forward with how we uh, take YA fantasy forward. And I think, thank you so much and amazing. And now do something else because we already have so many other things yeah. that are doing that, mm -hmm. if not better. Um, like from a just story standpoint, mm -hmm. better. Um, where I think that, you know, I would love to see her write. I mean, she wrote the host. She certainly did. <laughs> I would love to see her come to something new. Mm. There's a lot of circulation on the internet about a, a, a faux Twilight story of Jacob and Renesmee mm. and mm. mom and dad back at a high school years from now all together. Oh, oh wow. Right. Because, because they don't. Oh, my God. I never even age. thought about the fact that they would still be in high school forever. Yeah, wow. I mean, they can go to college, too. Yeah. You know, but, like, there's a chance that to make them be able to stay in a place for long enough, they would have to. And there's all these words about how Jacob and Redesme are the main characters of the story, and it's about how they're finally becoming what Jacob wants. Right. <laughs> you know? Wow. And I, I'm like, that doesn't excite me. I would love for you to write something else, <laughs> because everything you did was really exciting and groundbreaking mm -hmm. for the time. Yeah. And so... I'm happy if she wants to move forward and I'm a little, I'm a little sad if not, but right. whatever she wants. I, I mean, I guess, you know, ultimately she probably doesn't have to like do anything. Like she could probably just be like, I don't need to, I, I'm done. Like it's, you know, it's fine. It's, it's over. Um, which is, I wish more writers would do that when they get the opportunity to get there instead of running their, their, uh, <laughs> status into the ground you know well to go i guess to mm -hmm. go full circle um yeah. like jumping off that scott is like you know to go back to episode one you know stephanie meyer didn't have long harbor dreams of being an author right she she was totally happy with her existence in her life and you know being a mother and a reader and a and a person but then she had this crazy dream one night and got bit and had to tell this story and then saw this right. through to the end so like yeah does she still have like, you know, what? what's on her mind nowadays? Does she right. still want to write? Right, right. Or does she just want to sort of write fanfic of her own thing, you know? And 
Which is fine, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is fine, too. Just, you know, do it under another author and publish it online like a normal right. fan. Like Chloe Zhao. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, like, I don't know which direction she'll go. Because when you look at, like, I think of the two biggest authors that I can think of, of, like, this century, right, mm-hmm. are Stephen King and J.K. Rowling. And I think about... J.K. Rowling, like, as far as, like, authors who are like, no, we, I'm an author. I'm going to write forever, right? I'm never going to stop writing. And I look at J.K. Rowling, and she is so goddamn rich that she's not even human anymore. And she's writing about humans that aren't real and situations that don't exist. And they're all imagined, everything, because she doesn't know what it is to be human anymore. Because she's, like, on Mount Olympus and has been for years and years and years and then you compare that to Stephen King who has lived exactly the same life since the 80s which is like I'm married to my wife I have my kids I go down to Florida every winter and I come back to Maine in the summer and that's my life and it's always been that and I go to the grocery store I don't act famous I just do my thing and he's still capable of writing books that people respect and feel connected to Um, and he owns up to his mistakes when he makes them um, but like, I don't know which side of the realm Stephanie Meyer would be on, you know, if she kept going, would she be, is she on Mount Olympus like JK Rowling or is she closer to a Stephen King vibe or is she somewhere in the middle? I don't know. And I feel like her, what you're talking about, Nick, her not wanting to be a writer necessarily and just sort of stumbling into it. Maybe she's like, I don't know. I had Twilight to tell and like, that's it. You know, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I'd like to think that she's in a cottage in the forest. <laughs> yeah. Just. That's why <laughs> she, that's why she wanted the movie to end there. No, yeah. I wanted to end she's at my house. <laughs> she's in a state called Myerland and <laughs> it's just her and her thoughts and her children yep. and all of the things she's created thus far. And if she wants to create more, good for her. Yeah. I think like, you know, because in, in that response, you know, life and death is the only new story mm-hmm. of Twilight that she's created because she wrote Midnight Sun in 2008, you know, right. or and it was leaked. And so she was like, never mind, my fans, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Fuck you, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I get it. But... <laughs> yeah. She might be like, <laughs> you know, sure, with yeah. your finger and yeah. like wagging and <laughs> tutting. Um, but other than that, I, I think that, you know, she doesn't have to do anything else. And like I said, there are so many people who are who've like taken the reins and said, like, we've got it from here and are continuing the building of romantic vampires and YA fantasy. Yeah. So she doesn't necessarily have to do anything. That's right. Yeah. That's I'm, yeah. I'm just so interested to see where YA goes this decade and. Subsequently, I guess, where YA film adaptations go, if they go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We'll be talking about beautiful creatures in our Patreon-exclusive episode. Uh, yes. uh, our, our one of my franchise potential. Yeah. Of, of the multitude of failed Twilight starters, it's by far my favorite. I, mm-hmm. I can't wait for Scott to watch I it. I love that series. <laughs> I love that book series. It was so good. And I'm so, I'm so excited to hear yeah that episode. <laughs> um, yeah and uh so this has been a really fun ride scott i'm so happy that you that the series affected you and you had got such a big kick out of it yeah 
I will probably revisit these movies, which is eventually like down the road, which is not something I thought I would feel. But yeah, no, I had a hell of a time going through yeah. these. This was so fun. And, uh, and Mimi, it was great having you on. Great getting your perspective as a twihard, past, present, and maybe future. <laughs> uh, past, 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 past twihard. Past twihard. Yeah. Uh, Recovered. Yeah, I would say past. Recovered, <laughs> twihard. Um, I will say now I just have appreciation of it as a whole that I can look back at it fondly and even pick up the books and watch the movies pretty frequently. I mean, I, I just finished reading and watching Twilight, but it was only a year ago that I had done it. So, mm. <laughs> so I guess I, maybe I'm still current. Yeah. We, we don't have to talk about it. No, for sure. I might, I might read the book someday. You never know. Uh, yeah. but, but for now, uh, we'll leave you here and we'll be back with our between episode next week. Uh, Twilight. Now, Twilight forever. <laughs> yes, Twilight forever. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. All along, I believed I would find you. Time has brought your heart.